0: Hey, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. If you are new to Refuge... Uh, one of the things that's a big value to us is expository preaching. We say that regularly, but for new people that come, you'll wonder why we chose where we are. Sometimes it may seem like we start in the middle of a, a book or something like that, but we uh, expository preaching is a big value for us. Verse by verse preaching through the text and through the scriptures, we like to say that way we don't get to skip the hard stuff, and we have to preach through the difficult things and sometimes the joyous things, but uh, we get to hear the full counsel of God's Word, and so uh, that's where we find ourselves uh, in Acts chapter 13 uh, in verse 13 today and so uh, I'll invite you uh, to just read along with me as we um, as we read our text today uh, so we'll be in Acts chapter thirteen, verse thirteen. Here's what the scripture says: Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the Law and the Prophets, which he's talking about the Old Testament. Uh, what we would call the Older Testament, that was their Bible at the time, after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, with his hand and said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers, and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. I like that wording there. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? About 40 years, they put up with him in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin." for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before He before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? And I not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, uh, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him." And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried all... all If when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not lay, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid upon his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this, man's, through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and, and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. This is the word of the Lord, amen? Amen. Man, I'm excited about this uh, very text today. So, a couple of questions that I think we have to answer, that you have to answer, and I want you to answer to yourself today as we get started in this text um, is this first thing Do you know the grand narrative of the Bible? Do you know the grand narrative of the Bible? When I was growing up and I was going to church as a youngster, I just assumed the Bible was just a collection of stories. Stories that people that had good moralistic teachings. And for me, I would hear the stories, and you know, it was be like somebody. And you've heard us say this here if you've been at Refuge long. We said this oftentimes, but I think it's worth repeating so we don't forget it. The Bible is not a book of stories about moralistic teachings. The Bible is a book of stories that point to one hero. His name is Jesus, who we read about in our text today. And so the Bible is, but what is the grand narrative of the Bible? The grand narrative is this, that God created everything. He spoke the world into existence and holds it together, holds it in his orbit by the word of his mouth. He says, earth, stay where you are, because if you drift too close to the sun, everybody's going to burn up. And if you drift too far from the sun, everybody going to freeze to death. It may feel like that in these next couple of days, but we ain't drifting, okay? But God holds the world into existence by the power of His word. He created all things, and He said, "This is very, this is good." He created man in His own image, and said, "This is very good." You get to Genesis three in the narrative of the Scripture, and man, be, man sins and disobeys God, and sin enters into the world. And the Scripture teaches us throughout the Scriptures that because of Adam's sin, you and I are all born into iniquity, which means we are all born into sin, and so we have have a sin nature simply by the fact of being born. We are born into sin. And as you read through the grand narrative, we'll we'll get to that. But as you go there, the rest of the scripture is about, hey, one will come who will crush the head of our enemy, and he will be the deliverer who is to come. And so we see that all through the Older Testament, as you walk through the Older Testament. We talked about this a little bit in our text today, that there were kings who were appointed because Israel wanted a king. God chose a people through Abraham and said, your offspring will be great, who became the nation of Israel. from that nation from those people jesus the messiah would be born and we see that happening as we uh, get into the prophets we preach through some minor prophets that we would never done before uh, back a few uh a uh, number of months ago and all those prophets all the old testament all that was pointing to jesus who was to come and is to come and has come we get into the new testament you see jesus come he lives a life that no one can live sinless uh, blameless before the father he lives a life that none of us are able to live but we're called to live and then god uh, uh, jesus laid his life down on the cross so that you and i might be forgiven of our sins that's the grand narrative of the scripture that the shedding of uh, the blood of bulls and goats that we read about in the Older Testament, that they would go and sacrifice as an atonement for the sin, were only pointing forward to the Lamb of God who was to come, the Lamb of God being Jesus who would take away the sin of the world. The Scripture says that God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all, which means He laid on Jesus the sin of you and me. And then uh, that, that he died on the cross without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of sins. That the punishment was laid on Jesus that you and I deserve. But God was satisfied with Jesus' perfect sacrifice. And God raised him from the dead three days later. The capstone of Christianity is the very fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. If Jesus be not raised, we are all wasting our time. If Jesus is not alive, if he has not been raised from the dead, we're just going through some religious motions today. And we would be better off preparing our homes for the snowpocalypse that is to come. But he is alive. He was raised from the dead. He is alive. The scripture says that he is at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for you and me if you are in Christ Jesus. Which means he says whenever we, you and I are accused by our enemy, Satan, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father going, that Christian belongs to me. Scott Benjamin, despite his past, because he repented of his sins and put his faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, belongs to me. And if you have done the same thing, he says that same thing about you, that you belong to him. And despite whatever the enemy might claim against you, that you belong to him. That is my hope for all of you today. For those of you who walked in, you know who you are. You know if you're a Christian or you're not. You know if you have been born again, if the Spirit of God actually lives within you. And it's my hope today that today, if, if, if that's not true about you, that today might be your day of salvation. So you can rejoice in this same way, knowing that I belong to Jesus, that you belong to Jesus, that Jesus is, is at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. That is my hope. The scripture says that as Jesus had come, uh, just as he came, that uh, he... The, the, the he uh, Uh, appeared before many after his resurrection he ascended back into the father and the scripture tells us that just as we they saw him go away one day whoever's still alive at that point will see him come again just as he left us what a glorious thing to look forward to the second coming of Jesus where all things are made new that's the grand narrative of scripture do you know that Secondly, I would say, do you know the gospel? I just talked to you about the gospel, the fact that God requires a perf- required a perfect sacrifice to forg- for us uh, to be forgiven of our sins, for, the, for the, uh, blood of, the precious blood of Jesus to be shed for our sins. Again, the, bu- the blood of, of animals never took away anybody's sin when you read about in the Old Testament. They were only pointing forward to the one who was to come. And the gospel tells us that we needed an intermediary, one who could live the life we cannot live, one who died the death that we all deserve to die, yet God raised Him from the dead. And when you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, not your own good works, not your own religiosity, but in the finished work of Jesus, the Scripture says that you will be born again. And the Holy Spirit will come and indwell you, and He will change you and conform you into the image of Jesus. I'm just going to tell you this right now. If you've prayed some kind of magical prayer that you think saved you at some point, but there's never any change in your life, you're not different, you still desire the same things, you still go the same places, your language is still the same, your, your, your sin is still the same, and there's never been a change in you. Listen, Jesus changes people. Amen? He changes people. He makes us new He changes our desires. It may not happen overnight. You may still sin. You're going to still sin. I still sin, but I sin less. If there's nothing like that that's happening in you, you have to question whether or not that you actually have the indwelling Spirit of God that actually lives in you. Our hope is today that the Spirit of God will reveal that to you today. You know that there is only one way to God. I know in today's world that crazy things happen and crazy things get said and crazy things uh, get talked about on social media and the world we live in is kind of topsy-turvy and upside down where men are women and women are men and up is down and down is up and all the things just you look at it and go, I can't believe I'm living in this crazy world. But the one thing for sure, and the world will tell us today, the world will tell us today, hey, you find your own God. You find your own way to heaven. You find your own. Whatever your truth is, it's okay that it's your truth. That's not what the scripture teaches us, okay? That Bible that's in your hand or the Bible that you're reading on your app, whatever that is, that Bible tells you, Jesus says, I am the way, the hope, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I'm the only way. So he's either a liar or a lunatic or he's Lord. We believe he's the Lord. And so if you're putting your faith and trust in anything else, your goodness, your family name, your heritage, whatever those things are, those are useless when it comes to salvation and eternal life found only in Christ Jesus. It would be our joy to talk to you more About what it means to follow Jesus So that you too can have this eternal life That people speak of And then lastly If anyone else Do you know if anyone else knows That you know Does anybody else know that you know the Lord Anyone else Around you know that you're a follower Of Jesus Do your friends know Does your family know Do your co-workers know? Would anybody else know? That guy, you know what? That guy, I I see just reflections of the Lord in him. That girl, that lady, man, every time I'm around her, there's just this aroma of Christ around her. Do people know that you're a follower of Jesus? So this text tells us today and we're going to answer some of those today in our text, but this text tells us today that, uh, that they had left on this long journey, and after they, get to, uh, they, they went to the synagogue to worship, it tells us there in, in the first few verses in our text today in 13, 14, and 15, and you get to this point, and it says these things, that they went to the synagogue and that it was very important to them that they went to the synagogue. I think it's very important for us to make sure that we gather ourselves today. That it's, uh, and so gathering is important. I know it's real easy, and I'm so thankful to see you guys here today. I'm glad you got out in the cold. I'm glad you put a jacket on and got in your warm car and drove over to a warm building and sitting in a warm seat, had some warm coffee, and got a warm embrace as you walked in, a warm holy pat on the back, all those things. I'm glad you got all those kind of things. But it's so vitally important for us to gather together as the church. Why? Because we need to hear the word of the Lord. You need to hear the word of the Lord. I need to hear the word of the Lord. Just like we see in our text today. Uh, Verse 14 says, But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. Which means they went in to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed." will you make it a vital part of your life? I want it to be important to you because it needs to be important to you. There are competing voices that each of us have in our lives that tell us there are other things that we could do with our time today. There are other things that happened in our time that could take us away. Preacher, you don't know, I work six days a week and Sunday is my day to rest. I get it. I understand. I understand. That sometimes it, you need to just rest. And you know what we say around at Refuge? There are days that you just need to rest. There are days you need to take a good nap on a Sunday. I always take a nap on Sunday afternoon. It's glorious. Get back in my bed the whole nine yards. Cover up here to my, to my neck and sleep like a baby. And so I take an apple on Sundays too. My encouragement to you is find those times that you can rest and those kind of things, but don't forsake the gathering of yourselves today. There are advertisers that you watch on your TV, that you watch on your phone, that will, say, that will try to draw you away from spending time with the Lord, from gathering even on Sundays. There are multiple things that will draw you in different directions. The National Football League does it to some of you. I know it does. Hey, my game starts at noon, preacher. Well, good thing we get out at 1130. you got plenty of time to get home, to watch your team. I love football. I love to watch football on TV. But don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. It is of vital importance. I know the weather sometimes gets in the way of us going. And I wouldn't ever tell you to get out and be dangerous and drive in the snow and the ice to go to some gathering. We try to be smarter than that and find alternative ways on those kind of times. But if you're not providentially hindered from gathering with your church family, it is of that much importance that you set aside time to gather with your uh, church family. And if that means, hey, preacher, I'm just now getting back into it, and at least I'm here today, and you know what? I'm really glad. Let today be that first day that you go, I'm going to get back. I'm going to make the time. I'm going to prioritize this time for me and my family, for my spouse, my friends, my kids, whatever that is, I'm going to prioritize this time on Sundays. Because the danger is you might sit at home and follow some false teacher on the tube. There's a lot of them out there that say good things and are really nice in their presentations and they lead big churches and they have big tv ministries and all those kind of things just be cautious about who you listen to on TV, a vital importance that you gather today. Why? Because you're going to get instruction. We're going to open the scriptures up, and we're going to study just like we do, verse by verse through the scriptures. It's in, it's a vital importance that you get good instructions. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together, which is the habit of some, but be in the in the presence of of the Lord, be in with God's people, so that we can study the word together and wrestle with the word together and dig into the word together and hear the. word declared that's what we see happening here in acts chapter 13 and i think it's important I, I, i don't think it is vitally important for us to do it today there's inclusiveness whenever we gather together we talk about being a family at refuge you may have you grow up in a family where like you would go to your grandmother's house and it was like a big family reunion, you know, where you would go and you would eat lunch. Like when I was growing up, my dad had four sisters. And every Sunday after church gathering, we would all go over to my grandmother and grandfather's house. Well, so my, there were five kids, my dad and four sisters, and then they all had kids. And so it was a big group of people. Anybody do that when you were growing up? Anybody? Raise your hands. Handful of us. I, I would just, it, it was really cool for the family to be together. Just something magical it felt like about that. And I'm not talking about magic here, but it's vitally important for us to be together as we gather in a space, wherever that may be. We are the church. A building is not the church. A vital importance to be together inclusive, that we're here together, including one another in our worship time together. It's imperative of utmost importance that we hear the imperatives of Scripture to follow Jesus, to repent of our sins, to believe the gospel, to flee from some things, to put on some things, to put off other things, of vital importance for us to hear that together, and spur one another on as we go. I can only imagine those kind of things were happening as we see them going to the synagogue that day there in verse 14. And the unfortunate thing is some just have some indifference to it. You go, well, I'm here, preacher. I know, I know and I'm glad. But sometimes we get to the point of having, just being indifference to the, indifferent to the things of God. It's my hope for you in 2024 that that will change. That you won't be indifferent about the things of God. It will be of vital importance today. I remember uh, on 9-11, back in 2001, man, that we even saw our Congress, as divided as they were then. It's, it's crazy much more today. But even after on the heels of tragedy, they came together. They sang God Bless America together on the, on the lawn uh, there outside the Capitol building. And they were united in a times like this. And unfortunately, many times, it takes tragedy to force us back into the house of God. Tragedy. That in itself is a tragedy. And so let's you and I, Refuge, be like we see even happening here in our text today. Be people that make this of vital importance to gather together. Why? Because we're going to gospel saturate everything we do. Every song we sing here at Refuge, we believe is gospel saturated. They're chosen for a reason. There are some things that we don't sing for a reason because when you start singing these songs, we want you to be we want you to know that you're remembering truth, that you're singing truth, that we're declaring truth to you today. And so they are gospel saturated. The music, the children's curriculum that we use, the sermons we preach. Um, All these things, the the opportunities that we get to encourage one another are all vitally important. Gathering together is for the good of the hearer. Scripture tells us that, that it is good for you to hear the Word of God proclaimed. It doesn't preclude me, but it is good for you to hear the Word of God proclaimed. And then we hope to gain a response from some of you. It is our desire, and you should know that we pray for you regularly, as specifically as we come in to gathering times together. Again, just like we see them going into a place today, that we pray for you regularly, especially those of you who are outside the household of faith. We may not know your name yet, but the Lord knows who you are, and we pray for you that the Holy Spirit will awaken your heart to the gospel, and that today, maybe even today, might be your day of salvation. Let's keep going. So as we get into this text, the thing that we see happening is, that they ask, well, look what it says there in um, uh, verse 15. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogues sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. And so like, hey, if you have anything to say to us today, I want you to stand up and say it. 16 says, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said something. And then the scripture goes on to tell us the things that he is saying. And so right off the bat, he jumps into this and says this, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Hey, let me me just say a real quick word. I circled the word listen. I would encourage you to circle the word listen. I know, especially as you um, read your Bibles on your phones, those little things pop up, and somebody texting you, and your Snapchat pops up, and uh, all your Twitter pops up. All those kind of things pop up. I know your phone buzzes, and you start doing all those kind of things. You look at your message. You've missed about eight minutes of whatever's going on in a gathering like this. I, I know how it goes. I've sat out there before, so I know how that goes. Man, let me just encourage you again. We're not here for that long. Longer than some. Uh, but let me just encourage you to find a way to get rid of those distractions whenever you gather together. Turn off your notifications, whatever those kind of things are. But it said, he says to listen, so he's saying pay attention. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. And so he goes on and he says this, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arms, he led them out of it. And so what is he even talking about right there? I don't know if you remember back from the Old Testament, actually back from our Genesis study, whenever uh, there was a famine that came into, actually, so you get into uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons and uh, father, as many sons, uh, and so he had multiple sons, and there, there was a, a, the, the brothers really didn't like Joseph. They were jealous of him. And, and so they sold him into slavery, remember? And then they were like, oh my goodness, somebody's killed Joseph. And so that's what they told their father. And so they sold him into slavery, and he went off into, the got sold into Egypt. And, and But Joseph went there, he was in prison for a long time, but he ended up finding favor uh, with the Pharaoh at the time. And so Joseph rose up um, and became very important in Egypt. After a long time. Well, if you remember, the um, Israelites ended up in a famine. And a famine came over the land, and they had to go, man, how are we ever going to get food? And so they had to travel to get grain uh, from, uh, from Egypt. And so they went there and got grain, and Joseph was a part of that. The whole nine yards that they ended up finding Joseph. Joseph was with their brother, and he's alive. Hey, you're alive. And uh, it was all a big family reunion, which was fantastic. And then so their entire group, their entire family moved there, and the Scripture told us that they got big and bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more people. Uh, and they were like, they, they there was a new Pharaoh that came on the scene, they're like all these people are really more than we are, and they might rise up against us. And so they took all them into captivity, and they made them slaves for a long, long time. And then uh, the God raised up Moses to lead them out. And finally, they, he brought plagues into the um, into the people, just to hey, let my people go. And you know all the, tw- the the plagues that came along. And finally, it was the death of the firstborn son that got them released. Oh, that's what he just summed up in two verses. Just FYI, all that was in two verses. Whenever. He said, um, he said, the God of this people, Israel, chose our our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And so all those things, all those multiple chapters, just he summed up in two sentences. And so you go, well, maybe uh, Moses was the hero. But we know from just the studies we've done here, and hopefully you'll know, that our Old Testament saints were not the hero, Okay, Moses was not the hero. We don't look to Moses and go, well, let's be like Moses and be courageous, and let's lead people just like Moses does. No, no, no. As we look to our Old Testament saints, even as he was referring to them here, he's going, you will learn that Moses was not the hero. There was a true and better Moses that was to come. And so don't try to be like Moses, but just like Moses did, look forward to the true and better one who was to come. He trusted God and believed God that there was a better one to come. And so just as that, I would encourage you to do the same thing. So he goes on in this text, he says, and for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. You remember that story about them staying in the wilderness and how uh, they grumbled against God and God was like, you know what? So for those of you who are grumbling, you're going to die out here. And then we'll send the other people into the land of promise. And so that's what he did. they, 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 for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness and God ended up eventually taking them into the promised land. Verse 19, after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as inheritance. And so the promised land you hear about in the Old Testament uh, is being referred to here, even in our text in Acts. And he said, I gave them, God gave them a promise. And then he fulfilled that promise. All this took about 450 years, Uh, 450 years. Think about that. Sometimes we complain about God not answering our, our prayers instantaneously. Whoever complains about that? Come on. Yeah, all of us, even you liars who didn't raise your hand, um, we all complain about God not answering our, or our, uh, our prayers instantaneously. 450 years it took for this to happen, for them to go into this promised land that God had told them. So he goes on. After that, he gave them judges until Samuel... The prophet and then they gave asked for a king they're like well this is great but every other nation has a king and we don't have a king god why are we so different and and so he's like you want a king we'll give you a king and so he gave them a king god gave them saul the son of kish a man out of the tribe of benjamin for 40 years and though saul was a good-looking dude most benjamins are and uh uh (laughs) the scripture says it uh no read um out of the tribe of Benjamin, he just wasn't the thing that they had hoped for. He wasn't the savior of all things because even though he was a good king for a while, he was not the hero. There would be a true and better king that was to come. The scripture even goes and tells us this, that when he had removed uh, when he had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. And so many times we can read stories about David and go, man, I wish I was like David. And sometimes that's not a bad thing because David's courageous and David did a lot of good things and David was a good king, but even David was flawed. And that's why we don't always look to David to be our hero. Even in in, uh, David slaying Goliath, David is not the hero. David only points to the one who would slay the giant of our sin. He would slay death and hell and the grave. David's not the hero. He only pointed to the one who was to come, and that was Jesus. Remember that anytime you're reading the scriptures, that the people you read about, they may do good. They may do the will of God, but they're only pointing to the only hero in the scripture. And that is Jesus. He goes on to say, uh, verse 24, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. You're like, what does that mean, preacher? I can tell you what that tells us is, as this baptism of repentance, he was like saying, there is one who is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. And he will be one who will cleanse you. And so, this baptism of repentance was those who would come and trust in the Messiah who was to come to say, I'm going to follow this guy. I believe there is one to come, and I'm identifying with this one who is to come. And John, after it was finished, uh, as, and as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? This is John the Baptist saying, I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming the sandals of whom I am not worthy to untie. And though people were rushing to John, he was like, I'm not the one. He knew there was a true and better one who was to come. And so this is what Paul is declaring to the people during this time. Verse 26 says, Brothers, brothers, Sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And so he's saying, Hey, let me just say this. The message of salvation had been sent to us. We were the chosen people and God chose to send to us and through us this message of salvation that we're declaring wherever it is that we go. We're declaring all these things and that there is one who will come. It's the same kind of message that you and I get to proclaim today except we don't look forward to one who is to come. We look back to the one who did come. Jesus, the Messiah who was predicted, that said, hey, I have come, just what we've talked about already. He came, he lived the sinless life, died the death we deserve to die, was raised from the dead, and will forgive you of your sins and make you right with God if you'll just repent, turn away from your sins, and trust in the finished work of Jesus. That's our hope for you today. That's the message that John was preaching, a a, a message of repentance. To turn from your sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me keep reading in um, in these verses. And though they found in him no guilt worth of, worthy of death, this is Jesus. They asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had him ex- uh, carried out, all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring to you the good news that what God has promised the fathers, this he has fulfilled. To to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as, f- and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Let's stop right there. Oh, no, it says, and therefore he says, also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. And so back to verse seven, uh, 27, They missed the Messiah in the beginning. Look what it said in 27. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And so what is being taught here in Acts is that the people knew that a Messiah was to come. The deliverer who had been long promised was to come, and they missed it. Missed it. And then they condemned Jesus who did come to deliver them. Some of you miss it. Some of you miss it. You come to refuge. You sit in service after service. You sing gospel saturated songs. We preach Christ and Him crucified every week from this pulpit. We say that there is only one hero, it is Jesus. There is salvation found in no other. There is hope found in no other. That unless you repent of your sins, which means to turn from your sins and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, you will surely die in your sins. Look, I've sat in your seat. I've sat in your seat as a young person and heard people preach this over and over. And I went through the motions. I know how to go through the motions. Did it a long time. Some of you have gone through the motions. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you still are. Religious motions. That's not Christianity. It's religion. Some of you adults do the same thing. You sat at refuge. We're 15 years old now. Almost. You sat in service after service sermon after sermon where we say there's salvation found in no other you nod your head you sing the songs yet you're still dead in your trespasses and sins because even you adults have not turned to the only lover of your soul you go through the motions but there's no life found in you No no repentance has actually happened. No new life has been birthed in you to make you different, to make you filled with the Holy Spirit. You're like, I don't get this thing you're talking about, preacher. Maybe it's because the Spirit hasn't lived in you yet. We see that. They missed Jesus, and they even condemned Him. Verse 28 it says, and, they, and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. They thought it was better to have him removed than to keep listening to his message of repentance. So that's the way they did it back in the day. they just like, let's get rid of the guy that we don't want to hear. The way it happens today is you just don't show up. You go, church is not for me. I'll do it my own way. I'll. My church is in the woods. Ooh. Nope. You can tell yourself that all you want to. That's not what the teacher script. That's not what the scripture teaches us. That our calling is to gather together, hear the word proclaimed, worship the Lord together. I don't know how it works. I just know that it works because the scripture tells us to do it. There's something about God's people being gathered together, lifting up our voices and singing good gospel-rich songs and hearing the word declared, no matter who stands in this pulpit, hearing the word declared. God calls us to this, and the Spirit does something in the midst of this. Let's keep going. Verse 29 to 31. Here's what it said. When they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. So they crucified him, they took him down from the cross, they buried him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Underline that in verse 30. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those Uh, He appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And so again, the resurrection, the capstone of Christianity, without it, it crumbles. There's no need for us to be doing what it is that we do. And there's no other religions that can claim that. There's no other religions that could claim that that their God is still alive. We We worship a risen Savior I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is willing, whatever men may say. I see his hands of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. At just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. And it's higher. He lives within my heart. He lives within me. That was free, that wasn't even the notes. There's hope found in Jesus for each of us. He goes on in verse uh, 32. And we bring to you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, there would be a Messiah to come. There would be a deliverer to come. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. This was God speaking to Jesus as, and for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken this way. I will give Give you, the holy and sure blessings of David, the one who was to come from David, he is again pointing to the Messiah. Therefore, he says in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. It's talking about that Jesus would not decay into the ground, that Jesus would be raised from the dead. And verse, uh, uh he goes on in verse 37, look what it says or 36, for David, after he had served his purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. So he said, Hey, David was just a dude. David was just a guy, despite how good he was or what a great king he was, David was just a guy, and he died, and he was buried in the ground, and his body rotted away. That's what that verse means in verse 36. But he whom God raised up to the dead did not see corruption. He said Jesus is different. This is different with Jesus. He did not see corruption like a normal man was. And so he's like, hey, you can trust in the fact that Jesus is different. He is other. He is different from us. Yes, he attempted in all ways like we did, yet without sin. But he is different than you and me. Yes, this king of Israel died, but Jesus rose from the dead, victorious over death, victorious over our sin that he took with him to the grave, victorious over all of our enemies in death and hell and the grave and he said and then verse 38 he says let it be known to you therefore brothers that through this man's forgiveness through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you some of you need to hear that through this man Jesus forgiveness of your sins is proclaimed to you listen to this preacher forgiveness of your sins Your sins. Yes, even that sin you're thinking about. Forgiveness of those sins is proclaimed to you. There is no sin that you've committed that one, God doesn't already know about, and two, that cannot be covered by the precious blood of Jesus. You can't out-sin the blood of Jesus. I'm too bad, preacher. No, you're not. I've done too much, preacher. No, you haven't. No way Jesus would accept me. Yes, he would. Salvation is found in the finished work of Jesus by him. The scripture says, verse 39, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Let's talk about that really quick because this is sometimes becoming very difficult. Look, uh, hang on. Uh, Let me go back. The law cannot save, sorry. The law cannot save you, okay? I know sometimes people get this all mixed up whenever they start talking about the scriptures. You go, man, if I just follow the scriptures good enough, I keep the 10 commandments, I'll be good. How many of you believe if I keep the 10 commandments, I'll be good? Good, I'm glad you didn't raise your hand. I know some of you were nervous about raising them. You don't raise your hands at church, you're not a Pentecostal. Um, uh, keeping the law can't save you because you can't keep the law. If you could keep the law, it would save you, but you can't. So you're not you tracking with me, preacher. I don't steal nothing, preacher. I um, I I don't speak against people. Look, Jesus goes into all that. I don't have time today. Scripture Scripture goes into this that the law is much more than just the Ten Commandments. They go much deeper than to our thoughts and our actions and our intentions, way deeper than we can ever imagine or think, way deeper than just the words that you see in the Ten Commandments. That's what he talks about. When he talks about the law, he's really talking about, goes back to the Ten Commandments. They had many more laws around them, but it goes back basically to the Ten Commandments. Following rules will not save you. Being a good person will not save you. Religiosity will not save you. Here's what the law does. The law exposes us. The law says, you think you're good? Let's just butt it up against this law, and let's just see how good you might be. The law, is in, uh, the law gives us no life. It's tough because it really holds us in constraint, tries to hold us in constraint, but we want to buck up against the law. It, whether it's intentionally or not intentionally, the law gives no life to us. The law is intended to crush us. The law is given so that we can see there's no way that I can be sufficient on my own to be in right relationship with God. The law is given to drive us to the Savior. Because the law drives us to desperation. If this is what I got to do to be right with God, I'm out of luck. So it drives us to desperation, but the good news is, is it can drive us to the deliverer. Okay? It can drive us to the deliverer because we go, well then what do we do, preacher? If we can't keep the law, and that's what God requires, what do we do, preacher? There was one who did. His name is Jesus. He kept it all perfectly. The scripture teaches us, he kept it all perfectly. And so the law does not save us, but you can be saved through the one who kept it perfectly. The one who came and took on flesh to be like you and me. Who laid his life down to shed the blood, the only blood that could cover our sin debt. Who was raised from the dead, victorious over death and hell and the grave. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Verse 41. Look what it says in verse 41. Look, you scoffers. Be ast- astounded and perish. For I'm doing good work in your day, a work that you will not believe even if one tells you. Here's great fear of this preacher. Some of you are this. Uh, there are scoffers in this generation, the multiple generations. There are scoffers in the Old Testament because this is quoting from the Old Testament. There's scoffers in the Old Testament. There are scoffers in the New Testament. Scoffers today, scoffers in this room. Maybe that's you. Psh, I don't need this stuff. Psh, I'll get to it if I feel like it. Psh, Scott's old. What's that got to do with this? <laughs> Sorry, it's just my own, my own thoughts up here. What is he? He don't he don't know about this new generation. He don't know what it's like for us. Maybe it's fine for him and his old friends. But it's different for us today. No, nope, all the same. We've all come through it. Some are scoffers. Why are you scoffers? Why do people scoff at this? Why do people blow it off and like the whatever, old man? Other things to do. Hoping for an alternative. Hoping for a bargain. I'll get to it one day. Scoffers in that generation. Hey, look what he said in 41. Look, you scoffers. Be astounded. Listen to what I'm saying. This is crazy talk. Be, this, what are you even talking about, preacher? What does it say? And what? Somebody say it louder, please. Perish. I'll read it for you. I have a microphone. Be astounded and perish. Perish. The Scripture doesn't pull any punches when it comes to this. When it comes to the Gospel, it says, here's the offer. Here's the offer. You receive, it's a free gift. You don't have to do things for it. You've already done enough to demand the Gospel be true. But if you want to look at it and dismiss it, you can perish. That's what he writes here. I'm doing a work in your day, a work you will not believe, even if one tells you. Hey, he talks to us too, Christian, our indwelling sin. Let's fight it. Let's be those who fight against this, our indwelling sin. And so he wraps up this fantastic, basically, sermon. Remember he, got, remember, he got asked to stand up, back in verse 15, stand up and say anything if you have anything to say. And this is our text that we read today. And so what he basically said is the unfolding promise from Genesis chapter 3 marched its way all through history, the scripture that we read, or the history that we read in the scriptures, and just as it was foretold, and just as it was proclaimed, culminated with the fulfillment that we hear from Genesis 3. That the enemy would be crushed. The head, yes, he would bruise the heel of the one who was to come. It's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, but he was raised from the dead. But then Jesus would crush the serpent's head. He would kill the death and hell and Hades and sin. He would crush all that. He would crush the head of Satan defending these things. And here's how they reacted. Look what it said, verse 42. And they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. They were like, can we come back here and you come back here and you tell us all this stuff again? Because this is incredible, that we find hope for each of our weary souls, for our sinful souls. You mean there's something that can deliver me from this body of sin? Will you come back and tell that us again next Sunday? Verse 43. And after the, mess, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism allowed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And so they were like, hey, you know, they, uh, the, the, their service was over and they kind of huddled up. And they're like, preacher, we need to talk to you. And it says they just continued to urge them on in the gospel. Hey, you know what? Stay, stay steadfast. Keep trusting the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Let's fight this sin together. We got a race to run. Let's do it together. It's important. We need each other for those kinds of things. And, and so you get to this text, you go, all right, what so what do we do with this preacher? First, I'll say this. Be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, that voice that's that just speaks to you, that you hear. One confirm it's the Spirit, it'll line up with the Scriptures, be willing to hear from the Holy Spirit and obey and be willing to go and do whatever He calls us to. Second, be steadfast with the gospel. The gospel message, to be steadfast in it. Don't waver. Don't cut corners. Don't change the words of Scripture to fit what you want it to say. Don't give in to somebody just because they say, well, I believe another way. Sure, you can have a conversation with them, but don't waver when it comes to the gospel message. We have that one message. The apostles thought it best to proclaim Jesus and him crucified. We'll read that all through the New Testament. As they went around, as they they were going from town to town and from people to people, they proclaimed Jesus and him crucified. Let that be said of us today. For those of you who are wondering what this is about, I'll say this, Christianity is not about rules. Yes, there are the call to put things on, hey, put on, the, 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 put on Christ's likeness, put on love and care and compassion for one another, but, and to put off some things, to put these things to death. The Scripture talks about, we don't have time to get into that today, but we've talked about that before. That there are things that as Christians we need to put to death with that, but all that comes with the help of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Once you become a Christian, the Spirit lives within you and helps you do those things, to put on those things, to put some things to death. Christianity is about Jesus and the gospel, the Holy Holy Spirit uh, uh, conforming us all to the image of Jesus, to spur one another on and on. Just as Paul preached this here in Acts chapter 13, There's no other way to be in right relationship with God. Listen this closely. There's no other way to be in right relationship with God than to repent of your sins, turn from your sin, recognize you're a sinner, and you need a Savior, and put your faith and trust in the only Savior. That's Jesus, the one who was raised from the dead that was declared in our text today. Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. None of us, no one, comes to the Father. No one is right with the Father except through Jesus. My hope for you, Refuge, is this. That my beloved brothers, that we be steadfast, you be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our work in the Lord is not in vain. Some of you are still questioning this. Despite my best efforts today, despite the fact that we've gathered together to proclaim the news of Jesus, Some of you are still not believing. Please listen to this. And with this, I'm going to close. John chapter 5 says this. Jesus said this. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think in that you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus said, they're talking about me. The whole Bible is about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. It's our hope today that you will, before you leave today, have the love of God within you. And along with John from his first gospel, and along with Paul from the writing of Acts, I urge you today to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, the lover of your soul, the way, the truth, And the life. Let today be the last day you're without Jesus. Today. 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 Come to Jesus. Let's pray.